With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, we got a great deal for you as all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight to put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's right, it's a $40 value for just $20 and you get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the US in Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight right now Deposit your $20, put the promo code PFF in there, and then receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription, a $40 value. This is a no-brainer. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFF. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. NFL week four, almost in the book, Sam. Let's get into all of the action from yesterday. How you doing? I'm doing good. I still, I don't like your intro still. You need to go back. It's different every week. I know. And they all suck. Go back to what worked. Welcome in there to the PFF go. NFL podcast. Now it's podcast time. Steve and Sam. All right, let's do this thing. Uh, don't forget, tonight it is Monday Night Football doubleheader. Yeah. As of right now. Mm. As of right now, 7 a.m., on Monday, they will be playing Chiefs and Patriots. Uh, we've got a full preview on the last podcast, so go check that out for uh, both of those games. But right now, we're reviewing all the Sunday action. Of course, that was assuming Cam Newton was the quarterback for the New England Patriots. Oh, um, yeah. When we said Cam Newton, just imagine Jarrett Stidham or Bo- Brian Hoyer. I almost said Bobby Hoyer. <laughs> I, I imagine the analysis is completely the same. Just just insert Stidham or Hoyer instead of Cam Newton. It, it, yes, all, it going, all applies. They're going to build the run game around Brian Hoyer. Yeah, you need a steady dose of Brian Hoyer, QB power of the middle, and that will neutralize the Kansas City offense. I, I think that's all correct. Mm-hmm. Anyway, a whole lot of football yesterday. Let's start with the Arizona Cardinals and the Carolina Panthers. Man, the pa- you know, there's a lot of stuff that's happening this season that is as expected. Yeah. Bad teams being bad. Carolina looked like a team on paper that was going to be competing for the number one overall pick. I did think their offense 
was going to keep them in games. But, man, I'm impressed with what Carolina has been able to do. This, yeah, this game was kind of equally equal parts impressed with what Carolina was doing um, and disappointment with what the Cardinals were doing. Like, Teddy Bridgewater, he's interesting, right? Because you get Robbie Anderson, and it felt like a sort of Henry Ruggs, Derek Carr kind of mashup, right? If anything is going to coax uh, the quarterback to be more aggressive, you get one of the better deep threats in the NFL. Um, and it hasn't really happened. Like, Robbie Anderson hasn't uh, convinced Teddy Bridgewater to become this aggressive deep down the field deep targeting quarterback but what's actually happening is that Bridgewater is sort of showing you that actually Robbie Anderson has a lot more to his game than that than just being that one-dimensional deep threat and if you give him shorter stuff if you give him run after the catch opportunities suddenly you're seeing all the other things that Robbie Anderson can do and I think Bridgewater he's not a good quarterback but he's a really good facilitator for like the rest of the offense the other talent can look good whilst Bridgewater is delivering the ball and, you know, they've, they've gotten a bit lucky in terms of his turnover plays. Like, he's had some bad turnover-worthy plays, and they haven't actually resulted in that many turnovers, which is helpful. Yeah, yesterday in particular. Got away with a couple, but uh, my takeaway on this one is the rookies for the Panthers. They drafted all defense. Yeah. And Yotur Gross Matos with a strip sack. And Derek Brown had, uh, when you look, when his grades come out, it'll probably look exactly like you would expect from a Derek Brown game when he was drafted not the first couple weeks where he's been manhandled and just a little out of place but maybe he's rounding into form nice game up front against the run on the other hand he's now faced two bad offensive lines consecutively after facing two good offensive lines consecutively so far the yep. data says if he faces a good offensive line he grades in the 30s if he faces a bad offensive line he'll grade somewhere in the 80s there's something to that mm. uh kyler murray had a bit of an up and down game after we talked about his uh, QB kryptonite throwing the ball you know over the middle of the field his first pass gets sailed at, at about 15 yards it was kind of perfect you know he's he's got the floor that we talked about with the you know he still had one of those spectacular rushes but I th you know he's still looking for that consistency from a from a pass game standpoint and this felt like one of those games like last year where most of the pass game productions coming through uh, really short stuff screen game and it just you know wasn't enough for Arizona yeah, and they also clamped down on, like, the rest of the weapons. The run game in particular was shut down. The fact that Carolina looked to have an actual game plan against those wide splits and, and what the Cardinals like to do with space, and it, it worked. Man, Arizona losing a little luster the last couple weeks here? Yeah. They were supposed to be the, the darling of the NFC West and given Seattle and the Rams and the Niners all they could handle, but uh, disappointing the last couple weeks for, for Arizona. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll still be good, but that was that they're not going to be what they started off being, you know, which is the match for Seattle and, and a team that you know could actually challenge for the division. I think it's going to be a tougher uh, road for them than that. Not a good weekend for the Air Raid. Air no. Raid gets shut down, shut down by uh, Arkansas. They shut down Mississippi State. I know you were watching hmm. the uh, SEC action, but uh, Mississippi State they had all the Mike Leach Air Raid buzz, and then not so good the next week still a work in process in progress in uh what work in progress hmm. man it's early arizona and carolina let's go to jacksonville and our hometown cincinnati bengals getting their first win again when the grades come out right now it's early monday grades are going to come out sometime on monday premium stats 2.0 for all of you pff elite subscribers and go check out where joe burrow ranks and it's not showing up in the stats you know yesterday he was good Looks like he's going to be 
top 10 quarterback once again in the NFL as a rookie behind that putrid offensive line very impressive for Burrow yeah he looks good the the line is bad but you know my, me and Mike Renner both said yesterday that look you're gonna take more than enough hits because of that line don't add to it you know don't take ones that you don't need to take right. because you're already going to be getting battered so there was a particularly bad play where he was rolling out to the left and one of those ones where you sort of wait you wait you wait there's a guy chasing you down eventually you dump it get rid of it but dump it just a little bit sooner than that so that the guy chasing you doesn't bury you the second you do like that is a hit that a quarterback does not need to take and nobody is going to blame you for it um so like i say that the lion is doing more than a good enough job of getting him killed all by itself they don't need additional help by by the hits that he he's taking voluntarily but in terms of what he's doing yeah it's hard not to be impressed like he is playing this is one of the best rookie seasons i think that we've ever seen so far it's not quite as statistically impressive as some others um and who knows if it'll last but to me the big question is you know can they improve the protection around him this season and if they can't does it start to have a detrimental effect because in terms of what we're seeing from him it's so impressive this is one of my predictions that could come true you know i think a lot of people expected rookies to have you know a little bit of a learning curve without with no preseason now he's starting out excellent but my prediction was more on the bengals as a team where they're one of those teams you're just not want to going to want to play starting with week seven eight nine whenever that is if they can figure out some of that stuff and he plays at a high level, I think we're going to look at a second-half surging Bengals team that, you know, is going to be have some optimism for next year. Um, I'm impressed with Burrow's touch. Uh, you know, again, a lot of the stuff that we saw in college, the accuracy, you know, his two big-time throws putting him up and away from coverage right where they need to be with excellent touch. And as you said, you know, like my pre- pre-draft article on Burrow it's like okay let me find some weaknesses on this guy I don't think the arm strength's great and it's the pocket presence thing it's kind of like it didn't show up a ton but in the NFL it will a little bit quarterbacks need to protect themselves I think quarterbacks can protect themselves from taking those extra hits we saw Josh Allen played great he also hurt his shoulder on a play that is risky right anytime you're you throw the ball while in the grasp you're unable to protect yourself I just think all of these guys need to, you know, take that upon themselves to, to stay on the field and, you know, live to fight another day. And, and this was a great example of how he's getting let down by the people around him because you had one touchdown pass taken off the board with a holding call. Um, and then you had another one where, you know, you, you gave your tight end a chance to make a play. You give your guy a jump ball in the end zone that he has a better shot at. He's looking at it coming in and ends up essentially losing – the battle at the catch point to a linebacker who had his back to the ball right just has it ripped out of his hands by miles jack those should have been two touchdown passes for burrow he put the ball exactly where it needed to go and he didn't get either of them like he, he got an interception and a 10-yard holding penalty great play by miles jack yeah for the for the jags a couple weeks ago talking about Minshew being uh, tank proof and all that fun stuff he's still you know he's still solid he's still okay but we still also see some of the late in the down decision-making, holding the ball too long. What are your it, thoughts on the Jags right now? It really is. We, we probably got, you know, harangued into maybe getting a bit too excited about Minshew. He remains tank-proof. I think that's still fine. I think he's still too good for them to get the number one overall pick and be, you know, the, one of the worst teams in the NFL. On the other hand, the last two weeks were an opportunity for him to show that he was better than that, to say, 
all right, not only can I run an NFL offense, can I be functional, can I deliver the ball where it needs to go, um, but I'm a guy that you can build a, a team around. I can be a quarterback for a playoff-bound contending franchise, and that's not what we've seen the last couple of weeks. We've seen him getting outdueled by Fitzmagic on the primetime game that you know wasn't exactly primetime. And then we saw this, which is, look, the Cincinnati Bengals are bad enough on defense that Baker Mayfield and the Browns got everything in order and looked unstoppable on offense. This, again, was your chance to show. And for the second week running, you got outdueled by a quarterback that you need to have designs on being better than if you're going to be that franchise leader. Yeah, for the Jags, my, my concern yesterday is, for as much as we trash the Bengals' offensive line, uh, only 13 registered pressures for the defense five of which came from josh allen this is a team when they in 2017 go to the afc championship had dudes coming from all angles four defensive linemen five defensive linemen that could legitimately get after the quarterback this is one of those places that um, has really dropped off including rookie caleb on chase on like they need some development up front um, and on the back end so i think jags fans you're just still evaluating the young kids all season and seeing who's going to be a part of that rebuild. Man, we're already at that time of the season where that's what I'm talking about. Well, that's what their, that's what their season was supposed to be, right? It was this, this team tanking for Trevor Lawrence. Um, they loaded up on all these young, talented, high upside rookies. This season was like evaluation for going forward. And, and at the end of it, you get a bonus of having Trevor Lawrence as your franchise quarterback. Problem is, Minshew's too good for that. So you're stuck in this limbo world where you're not going to get a shot at Trevor Lawrence, probably. Um, not but, if the New Yorks continue the way they are. Right. But neither <laughs> are you going to come out of this season confident that Minshew is, the, is, a, is an alternative, right? Like, you didn't get the franchise quarterback, but don't worry, you already have one. So far, it, that's not happening either. So they're, they're in this weird spot where all they have to look for is the rookies. They're not out of it yet. They're not out of the Trevor Lawrence running completely. Okay. Uh, which reminds me, I did forget about the – how could I forget about the Thursday night football game? Broncos – it was Broncos-Jets. It was last week mm -hmm. anything on that uh it was the, entertaining the brett rippon era was quite the roller coaster he had one of the weirdest games you'll see because his accuracy overall was really good and he made some nice throws he also had one that easily could have been picked that led you know jerry judy bossing somebody at the yeah mossing somebody mm. at the catch point that was unexpected yes and uh, that turned what was essentially a bad throw into a touchdown he then has the sideline throwaway thing that was picked off beautifully. He, he didn't have the arm. I think he just didn't have the arm to throw the ball away where he wanted to, and it became a pick. Yeah. <laughs> and then the decisions got worse. So, yeah, Rippon did not actually play. He made the really nice red zone pass for a touchdown. It was such a weird example, though, of how, like, even just football is such a small sample size game that even during stretches of games, quarterbacks can look completely different, right? Like, there, was, there were long tracks of that game where Rippon looked pretty good and looked like as good as any Denver quarterback we've seen in a while, right? Um, and then it's like hideous decision, hideous bad throw, and ultimately it all nets out to like a bad grade. And you go, well, okay, the Brett Rippon thing isn't happening. We can move on from that and go back to where we were. But it was quite the roller coaster. And then the same thing is true on the other side with Pierre Desir, a cornerback. That's one of the most insane cornerback games I've ever seen where yeah. – he got lit up like a torch for the entire game, but had a pick six and the other sideline toe-tapping interception that was phenomenal as well. So it comes out of the game 
with two interceptions, one of which put up points for the defense, and outside of that getting essentially lit on fire every time the ball was sent his way, and he was the guy that got mossed by Jerry Judy for the touchdown. So I think it was perfect that that sort of netted out to an almost exactly average PFF grade. But coming out of that, you're like, well, what the hell does that end up as? Like, the guy has two brilliant plays for the defense, but also gave up a touchdown and a catch basically every other time he was targeted. The uh, Jets, man. Yeah. Did you, you put a nail in the uh, Sam Darnold coffin? Is that what I read on PFF.com Friday morning? Yeah. Um, I don't – not that he can't succeed at the NFL level, but I think his tenure in New York is coming to a close. And I, it's not all his fault, but I think some of it is his fault. Um, and ultimately they're going to – I mean, this is a team in pole position for that number one overall pick, which means you're going to be staring a decision about Trevor Lawrence or somebody in the face – and no matter how ardent a Sam Darnold supporter you are, you can't possibly be convinced at this stage that he's a reason to turn down a shot at a Trevor Lawrence. Even if, even if they were in the same draft class or, you know, one draft class apart, I don't see how you could turn. Like, the idea would be that Trevor Lawrence is such a significantly better prospect that you couldn't turn that down. It would be a Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen deal, right? You would have to just go, well, look, we like him, but ultimately it's, this is a better player, so we're going to take him. Um, but we're years into this, and we're seeing the same thing. It's flashes of brilliance, but the flashes don't last for very long, and everything else is bad. I love the season. I love this, but I might like I might love the off season even even more. You know, you play Matt. You know, Madden franchise mode. Sometimes you like building the team more than you like actually playing. Mm -hmm. I once again for the third straight year, I think the QB carousel is going to be insane, and it's for the same reason that I mentioned every single week here. How many Sam Darnolds are there around the league? How, you know, if you put Sam Darnold on 10 other different teams, how much success could he have? He could have success in other places. The reclamation projects of a Sam Darnold, a Marcus Mariota, a Jameis Winston, like those guys are still out there. Yeah. Plus, at the college level, we keep talking about Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields is there. Trey Lance, who had his little showcase game the other day. You have Kyle Trask at Florida now emerging. Uh, there are four or five quarterbacks with, with starting ability ready to come into the NFL. It's just a fascinating place because I do think there are 32-plus starting quarterbacks right now. So do you take these de developmental guys in the draft? Do you let them sit like a Kyle Trask? you let him sit and learn, whoever it is? And then what do you do with three years of Sam Darnold? Darnold becomes one of the most intriguing reclamation projects in NFL history next year because his time – let's say the Jets take Trevor Lawrence. That's their franchise quarterback of the future. Darnold is either – cut, traded, whatever, he ends up somewhere else. Somebody else brings him on as a, uh, a new environment to see if they can boost him. He then goes in next season like three months older than Joe Burrow is this season, right? To yeah. start his rookie season. So Darnold is on to his second, like he's in his second rookie season, right? First career was a bust in New York. We're going on the second career now. He ends up starting the second career just a, a hair older than Burrow is. Like, he is far from done as an NFL quarterback. It just needs to be a new environment, a new opportunity, a new situation, a new coach, and we'll see if they can bring the talent that's unquestionably there. Because, you know, we talk about can-do players and all that kind of stuff, and that's becoming more and more highlighted with the development of Josh Allen. You know, he was the... Then Lamar. Sure, yeah, but yeah. Allen, I think, more than any of these quarterbacks was the perfect example of the can-do quarterback that everybody got so excited about 
and the questions about him were, well, what what's between those can-do plays? Right now, Darnold is the can-do guy. His highlight reel is as good as any quarterback in the NFL. I mean, even on Thursday night, he turns into Lamar Jackson for the rushing <laughs> touchdown in the ridiculous. middle. Right? Makes Justin Simmons, who's an all-pro safety, look ridiculous. Like, doesn't even touch him, I don't think. Um, it's just that everything else is bad. So the if you're one of those coaches who looks at these can-do players and says, all right, I just need a guy that ticks all these boxes and we'll figure out how to get him close to that uh, as his baseline, you will love Sam Darnold. And he's potentially available for a pittance in a few months' time in the offseason. I guess my question is, if you see Sam Darnold and you're like, hey, we've seen three years, it hasn't been great, situation hasn't been great, but he caps out at Andy Dalton, just using the Andy Dalton mid-tier quarterback. How attractive is that? But that's How attractive thing, right? is Teddy Bridgewater? How attractive are these guys right now in the NFL that might not actually have the ceiling? Do you have to chase the fat tail, Sam? Do you have to chase the fat tail, as the nerds like to say? But I That's, think That means ceiling, really. When you're looking at his highlight reel plays, I think you're saying, well, this guy doesn't cap out at Andy Dalton or Teddy Bridgewater. This guy caps out way higher than that. The question is, oh, man, can we get him there? You're becoming a highlight reel I'm guy. Just, and it. the other thing is, when you're talking reclamation projects, now you start to bring in a raft of other teams that aren't in consideration at draft time and have way better franchises and situations, right? No, that's fair. So suddenly you're talking about the Super Bowl contending potentially Indianapolis Colts. Philip Rivers is out of there after this year. Now there's an opening with a franchise that's playoff bound. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Steelers. Have Ben yeah. Roethlisberger aging again. Super Bowl contending roster ready to step in. The New Orleans Saints at some point, I mean, they've got a million quarterbacks, but none of them are necessarily long-term options. Drew Brees is out of there. Tampa Bay, how long does the Tom Brady era last? Like, there's plenty of contending teams that have a medium-term opening at quarterback that could be really interested in a Darnold reclamation project. All right, we're only in week four, but my head's already in January. Let's play the QB carousel game. It's, it is going to be fascinating to watch. All right, let's move on to more of yesterday's games. Cleveland Browns, Dallas Cowboys. Mm. You did say... You wouldn't be surprised. You didn't. I mean, you hedged nicely. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised by anything. Yeah. So here we are Monday morning, and you're not surprised that the Browns won by a lot with 49 points and which is rushing just, for 300 yards. Yeah, you're not surprised. Which is just as well, because this game almost went three different ways. Like, the, the game itself was almost a perfect microcosm of what I, was ex what I was saying could happen, which is basically anything, right? The bit that I got right, certainly early on, was that Dallas's offensive line is a mess and trying to block Miles Garrett was going to cause problems. And that's, they were under, like Dak Prescott was under an insane amount of pressure, particularly early. I think it cooled off the longer the game got and frankly, the more tired the Browns D line got. Yeah, like the actual numbers aren't going to be favorable right. from a pressure standpoint, but that's... But early in the game, yeah. they were getting home and they were, they were causing major problems um, and that allowed Cleveland to jump out to a bit of a lead. This game was, again, it almost became another one of these Dallas lunatic games late on. At one point, the Browns led by 27, and it felt like they were going to lose this game late on. Like the Cowboys were inexorably closing, were getting the points, the comeback. Cleveland sort of stalled, and then it all came down to that insane Odell Beckham end-around thing that almost got buried for like a 12-yard loss. The, yeah, the... um. So the Browns rush for over 300 yards. It was, by, from an EPA standpoint, the most efficient game by any team this year on the ground. Um, we, we talk about the ground, you know, the run game all the time. Or actually, we don't. That's our way of not, you know, of talking about it. By ignoring it, 
But in this game, that was that was the difference in this game. Just domination up front, even when our guy Nick Chubb got hurt. Very sad. But Kareem Hunt comes in. He's trading yards after contact. Dearness Johnson comes in. He's trading yards after contact. Dallas's defense is a mess. There was a point in the game where it was like 14-14. And yes, the announcers are still kind of lamenting that the Cowboys haven't given Zeke the ball. Hmm. So here's my question. Are the Cowboys letting us down? If they were designed, I know, I know that Dak threw for 500 yards and it's largely in a comeback situation. Did you see Boog's comment? No. Boog said, uh, said that. Friend of the show, Boog. Dak Prescott threw for 500 yards and the Cowboys were never in the game. That's why stats are for losers. I mean, okay. Okay, so <laughs> did Dak have one of the worst 500-yard games in history? Yes. Yes, he did. Uh, it's not the 500 yards. It's the fact that they did put points on the board early, 14 of them, uh, pretty quickly through the passing game. That doesn't, like, that's not a bad thing. No. It's still this, the defense is a mess, right? And even if it wasn't, you. so the, the thing about garbage time is you can't just, like, throw everything. Well, they only scored 14 points, and then the rest was garbage time. Like, if it was a close game and, and Dallas was dictating the action with the pass game, Chances are, even without, say, an easier time of it, maybe they still score 28. They still score 31. I'm still expecting the Cowboys to score points when you run the offense through the pass game. The problem here is the defense really can't stop anybody. Mm. Run game, pass game, they cannot stop anybody. So I think Dallas is letting us down well, because the offense has been fantastic also overall. Also turnovers. I mean, and the turnover, putting yeah. the ball on the ground, giving the Browns the ball to score. The like, strip sack, the Miles Garrett strip sack was the turning point in the game. Yeah, like at some point, I mean, it's that's not why stats are for losers. That's why trying to judge quarterbacks by nothing other than passing yards is for losers. Like nobody's... Yeah, of course. I'm not going to say nobody's ever done that because frankly, a lot of people have done that and they've been wrong all the time. But it's not how you judge it. Like, and we don't do that and neither does anybody that knows what they're doing with numbers do that um so it's basically a pretty bad straw man argument from bug there but yeah dallas they've been good on offense the offense is not the problem for the dallas cowboys right now even factoring in the fact that frankly the difference in this game was them throwing putting the ball on the ground a bunch of times and, and giving cleveland more opportunities to run it down their throats like even with all of that if you were redoing this game and you're, you, you know what the Browns are going to do on offense and you're trying to figure out where you would fix things, your first port of call still would not be the offense, right? Even though the fumbles and the, the, the turnovers may have been the difference in the game, like your, your first fix would still be trying to shore up the defense, which got wrecked. Like what the, Obviously, the grades aren't finalized yet, but Wyatt Teller is going to have one of the best grades we've ever given to an offensive lineman. Man, I love that guy. He just destroyed the Dallas defensive line. Um, and he's not alone. Like, Jack Conklin had an insane grade as well. Like, the Browns' offensive line dominated Dallas's defensive line. At one point, did you see Baker, the, the trick play to Jarvis Landry? Yeah. Um, Baker's out in space, like, mirroring against Everson Griffin as a pass blocker. Like, Dallas's defensive line just got dominated. I, I saw some quote about Mike McCarthy saying he doesn't want to just play one coverage and – you know, they are trying to figure out their identity defensively because they had been a little bit of that Seattle scheme. They were playing a lot of cover one and cover three the last couple of years. Mike Nolan, you know, hasn't been calling plays around the league for a while. 
at you know defensive coordinator i i wonder how much i mean this is really what's holding them back right now as much as we say hey defense is dependent on offense unless you're a disaster defensively and you know busting coverages and missing tackles like crazy uh i don't think dallas should change a whole lot offensively i think this turns around for them at some point but it's it's ugly right now on the defensive side of the ball that's yeah. the only that's the only issue it is um for the browns though they're now what three and one yeah the last week was the first time they were above 500 in some god ridiculous length of time they are basically one embarrassing baltimore implosion on week one away from being like an actual formidable team that people are concerned about despite having a defense that's in ribbons on the back end like andrew sandejo was just getting destroyed they didn't bother covering cd lamb deep on a seam route at one point just a wide open touchdown um like dank kept trying to throw them the ball like kept throwing it at linebackers and things. oh he should have had he should have had three to five interceptions right but then would follow it up with a dime in right. splitting tight coverage and stuff like cleveland's secondary is a mess expectedly given like they're all injured but the offense is kind of getting back on track and they're doing it with a game management baker mayfield under center yesterday again it was, it was the run game but this is this is stefanski's blueprint right like they're finding ways to win despite now, odell beckham was great yesterday yeah but there's they're essentially winning even without their offensive stars you know odell beckham hadn't done much coming into the game baker's just been okay overall this is, is a he, lot of what stefanski's uh was hoping for i think he's starting to remind me more and more of kurt cousins and i I mean that I think in positive and negative senses. Like the thing about Cousins is he's one of the most frustrating quarterbacks in the NFL, right? Because he makes so many big plays pretty much every game. Like even yesterday, dropping some insane passes into tight coverage, into perfect windows. But you know there's something missing, right? And you don't need the, you don't necessarily need the numbers to see it, but you can tease it out in certain data points, right? But you can just you watching him you know there's something not quite right that is what separates him from the best quarterbacks in the nfl the guys that are tearing it up right now and don't have that the, the missing element um baker is starting to remind me of the same thing where even when he's right even when the offense is cooking the run game is dominating and he's a part of it it's like well this at least is workable right this isn't the baker from earlier in this from the, the ravens game where it's like this guy can't function or the guy from 2019 where like that the bad is so bad that it's a it's a major problem and something you need to actually either fix or move on from this is at least viable but it's still not the guy we thought we were going to see from his rookie season or from college the guy that was going to be a legitimate plus tier quarterback this is a guy that's good but there's still something missing and there's some bad there's some like mistakes in there that shouldn't exist and it just it doesn't quite look right the way a, that it used to, and B, it needs to if he's going to be amongst that very top tier. I think that's fair. I'm, st I'm still wondering how, yeah, how much of that is dictated by the, the system you put him in. And I think they're in this. It's the entire Kubiak, Shanahan, Kubiak, Tree, the whole, the whole deal, right? Where yeah. the quarterback is a passenger in a system, not the, not the conductor. Um, so they've made him a passenger, which is fine. I still think there's potential to untap there where he is the conductor, where he is the guy. Now, he does have to earn that because there's still far too many plays where Baker's like, clean pocket, clean pocket, let me get out of here. Yeah. And it's just, 
it's not great. He it's it's kind of like he's not as good as Aaron Rodgers, but it's kind of like Rodgers the last couple of years where the big plays are there, but it's you know take the easy stuff when it's there. Still need to see a little bit more of that. And I don't think necessarily being tramped in that kind of offense means that you can't um, you can't display evidence of being better than that, right? Like no, it's I not necessarily. It. I get that. It's to a certain degree, it's it's a handicap. Like you're never going to look like Patrick Mahomes within an offense like that because it doesn't let you. On the other hand, Russell Wilson was kind of trapped in that offense, and it was sort of patently obvious yeah. that this guy is better than this offense is showing right now. And even Cousins did have that really nice year last year. But even like last year, that. same. That's kind of where I'm going with this. Yeah. Even last year, I get it. Cousins was phenomenal. You know, take out Week Two, and he was like the number one graded quarterback in the NFL, and yet. Clearly, again, when you watch him, it's just like there's something missing here. There, it's not, it isn't the same as Russell Wilson, as Aaron Rodgers, as Patrick Mahomes. That's what Baker feels like to me right now is that even when it's good, there's just something missing. All right, let's move on to the New Orleans Saints and the Detroit Lions. Breeze is back, baby. Old man Breeze slinging it. Look, this, he's, his accuracy was fantastic yesterday. And I think. You saw you saw enough of those throws that were 2015 Peyton-ish, which was like he just he has enough anticipation yep. and touch to just get the ball there, right? It's a finer line mm -hmm. than he's ever you know had to worry about, but he's still getting it there and he's doing it. Man, I just want to say this was a championship effort by the Saints after everything they went through this weekend, all of the injuries, all of the the false positive COVID tests Saturday night and. Uh, doing all all the testing and being up late and all that stuff. This was a big Saints are who we thought they were type of game because despite all of that, they they handled their business against the against the Lions. Yeah, and they got put in a hole early. Like this was this was the the, the perfect storm of a game for this team to implode and for us to come out of this asking about Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill or all those kinds of things. Even going into the game, there was talk that Taysom Hill would be a red zone quarterback. And, you know, th this was where this was heading. Suddenly you're, you're in a big hole, you're down uh, double digits, and it's like, well, now, old man Breeze has got, he can't do the seven-yard passing all-game thing. He actually needs to put the ball in the air a bit. And he did. Like, his passing map in this game is completely different than anything we've seen for the first few weeks. There is a ton of passes in and around the 20-yard downfield mark. His, like, target rate was way deeper. And as you said, he was putting it in. This was the perfect example of what we were talking about before, which is if you don't have the arm, you now need to be the slider on the other things needs to be turned all the way up. Anticipation and accuracy. And for the first couple of weeks, at least one of those was missing or at least somewhere turned down. This was what we saw that, look, Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's one of the best of all time. And he has enough mentally that even with a noodle of an arm, he's good enough at the anticipation and the accuracy stuff to put the ball on the mark when it needs to, to get there. And this game, it worked. Like this was evidence that Drew Brees can play at a level high enough um, for this offense to function, even though his arm is a wreck. It also, it just looked like a different Saints offense too, where they relied so much on the run game, even early. It wasn't just a run the clock out situation with Alvin Kamara getting... 19 carries and Latavius Murray getting 14. It was just an efficient run game for the most part with Breeze. Like you said, it wasn't as much pa pass to set up the run. It was more run to pass, uh, run to set up the pass for the Saints in this particular game, which again is different from what we've seen through the years. 
how concerned like the Lions again are disappointing because I think we all just you know it snowballed all of our preseason hype with the Lions hey Stafford was great last year all these receivers coming back Matt Patricia year three with some new faces on the defensive side of the ball but man it is still rough in Detroit and the defense I mean they're just how do you they're just tough to trust every single week I mean the thing that's coming out of this is so Matt Patricia is now on a hot seat of some degree and his problem is that the guy he replaced never really had a bad season like Jim Caldwell a winning record with the Lions had what an 11 win season in there a couple of nine win seasons I think the worst year he had was a seven and nine like the Matt Patricia's problem is you know if you come to a team and you don't get things turned around necessarily usually your first port of call is feel like look this thing was a wreck when I got here it's going to take some time you got to be right. patient right you know, his problem is like the Lions weren't bad when he got there like, well they this is this is my t the tough thing about evaluating a guy like Jim Caldwell it's like he doesn't feel like a championship caliber coach yeah but his body of work it's like you won way more games than you should have given that roster mm -hmm. and look I know Adam I said this about Adam Gase before too Adam Gase is not popular right now I don't think he's coached well but at a macro level he the rosters he's been given he's actually won a few more games probably than he should have he has a terrible record everybody thinks he's bad at everything I'm just saying there are certain coaches who are like uninspiring you don't necessarily see them being your Super Bowl leading coach but they're still outperforming what they should have been that was the Lions before Patricia got there yeah um so it it doesn't look like it's heading in the right direction I, I think the the fact that their defense is so rigid I think Patricia is falling into the trap that every other like New England Bill Belichick disciple before him has fallen into which is you have a system most places have a system you bring that with you and it it that's how it works Belichick isn't like that they don't he doesn't thrive and succeed and dominate because of a system he thrives and succeeds and dominates because of his adaptability particularly on a week-to-week -week basis and it's on both sides of the ball we've seen it on offense whether it's Brady whether it's Cam Newton their willingness and intent to have a run heavy game if if running the ball 30 times is what wins this game that's what we're going to do if passing the ball 50 times is going to win the game that's what we're going to do right and then on defense if man coverage is what best neutralizes this offense we're going to run man coverage if zone coverage is what best neutralizes it we're going to do that that I mean it ends up with predominantly man coverage but they are willing to change when they need to and do it well the disciples that come out of New England don't do that or they don't do it as well and it fails Patricia's defense does not mix it up as much as I think they need to and they're too easy to attack like again old man Drew, old man Breeze knows what he's dealing with if you show him a static picture if you show him what he knows um, in terms of pre and post snap he's gonna sit back there and carve it up a, a big part of my optimism with the Lions was what was happening in the secondary and again this is a process versus result results type of analysis here I liked their process of drafting Jeffrey Okuda at three bringing in Desmond Trufant as a reclamation project Trufant just sees the field for the second time this year he's grading in the 30s Okuda is under 30 so far so the guys that could have been a part and then Amani Overwarie is over there you know he got he was the victim of a great breeze throw you know on a wheel route to Alvin Kamara I mean I liked what they were doing in the back seven bringing Jamie Collins in bringing in Deron Harmon Tracy Walker's played well that just hasn't worked out I mean my optimism was based off of 
they invested in the back seven with, you know, some risky players like a Desmond Trufant reclamation project, but I liked where the payout could have been. The payout has been just terrible so far. So, look, I, I think they could turn it around because Akut is still, you know, yeah. he's in, the, he's yeah, in yeah. I mean, he's a few a weeks into his career. in terms of um, assignments. But that's, that's what's holding those guys, uh, Detroit back right now. Plus, Stafford's not playing anything close to the level that he was at last year. Which was kind of the point that I was suggesting coming into the season like if your your optimism was based around the Stafford we saw from 2019 oh you might want to dial it back a bit because that was a significant outlier um just to back up the point I was making about the rigidity of the defensive scheme uh, right now 52.6 percent cover one right so just that one man coverage shell 52.6 percent the only team in the NFL above 50 percent they also have you know some variants of that one double they have two man they have cover zero there's other things in there that are also man coverage this team runs some variety of man coverage more than any other defense in the nfl and it's too much i mean one most teams play zone most of the time there's a reason for that if you're going to go the other direction like say the new england patriots who play as much man as anybody you need to have ways of doing it that aren't just let's just go out there and play man coverage because that doesn't work anymore like teams understand how to attack that and i think the lions are just too too married to that scheme they they are they run out there they run what they run and teams are too easy to teams are too good at exploiting it it's kind of like what we saw with the chiefs prior to uh your buddy spags before spags yeah, arrived spags. the chiefs just ran man coverage right and it's like we think this is the hardest thing to face as an offense and it isn't like teams are too good at attacking it man yeah you just have to be you have to be so good across the board you know eric eager from the pff forecast i think he, he says it in data scientist terms but essentially you're only as strong as your weakest link yeah. defensively uh from a coverage standpoint and uh that does make playing man coverage difficult and that's why a team like new england who's had three or four guys that can cover and different types of cover people who can match up with opposing receivers really well that's why they've had success. But again, even this year, their man coverage has completely fallen off because, you know, if you've just faced better receivers and right. good quarterbacks, you're in trouble. But also, even the Patriots, it's so much assignment-based, right? They don't just say, we're going out there, we're playing man coverage, right. you have your guy. It's like, no, look, we're going to scheme Gilmore against a specific type of receiver. We're not going to expose him to a game covering Tyreek Hill all day long because that's a disaster waiting to happen. Like, it, man coverage is not inherently bad. But you need to be smart about how you deploy it and how you use it. Right now, it doesn't look like the Lions are being, at which point they just get carved up. Remember, Michael Thomas wasn't even in this game. Like, this could have been worse. All right, let's move on. Minnesota Vikings and the Houston Texans. Man, I'm running out of Texans excuses. Yeah. Really am. Tough they schedule, the whole deal. But as I, I believe I said it on the podcast Thursday, there's just nothing to get excited about on that team. There is no unit that's playing well. Oh, yeah. There's just nothing good there except Deshaun Watson, who's, you know, Deshaun Watson's not at Mahomes, Russell Wilson level. He's just not. No. He, but, you know, there's, there's just not a lot going well in, in Houston right now. So heading into this game, it was like the battle of winless teams. And the logic, I think, or the assumption somewhere was that one of these teams would show something, right? One of these teams would show in this game that they were significantly better than the winless record so far. Um, I guess coming out of it, you would say the Vikings did, 
but it was it wasn't exactly resounding for either of them you know like for a you never want to give the vikings any credit i mean they won the game they showed more than the texans did but it did feel like both these teams are actually quite bad um the vikings at least i think have a shot to resuscitate that offense that i think is the takeaway from this game is that look the defense may still suck um and with Danell hunter the the tweak to his neck now appears to have turned into like a herniated disc and yeah. what was i think everyone assumed that initially oh he's just a three-week ir job remember the ir this season because of covid is only three weeks long he'll be you know he'll be in before october football now it's like oh a herniated disc and he's in new york seeking a second opinion yeah he's not coming back anytime soon yeah not good so the defense i think is still a disaster but inserting justin jefferson into the starting lineup where presumably he should have been all along, judging by what we've seen, changes the offense completely. Like, it, it does replace what they lost in Stephon Diggs, which is this is not an offense that requires more than two wide receivers in a major way. They have tight ends. They have running backs. They need two viable threats at receiver, and they only had one for the first two weeks. As soon as Justin Jefferson comes in, now you're back to that idea of, look, which guy do you dedicate the coverage to? Stephon, or Stephon Diggs slash Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen? And that changes what Kirk Cousins can do. It changes the offense. It changes the, the run game because there's an additional threat deep down the field. And suddenly this Vikings offense looks like last year's version, not the version we saw for two weeks. I'm really impressed with the trust Cousins appears to have in Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Jefferson, coming out of college, caught 12 out of 13 contested catches. We always talk about that. Like you don't want to rely. That wasn't his game, but when he had the opportunities, he was making them. That has continued, essentially, at the NFL level. And Cousins, a guy that, again, trying to get into Cousins' head is not easy. When it's like, why'd you make this decision, but you were crazy conservative on this one? Why'd you make, you know, he he mixes and matches when he should be aggressive. Enough. But I saw there were some throws in there where it's like, I'm letting Justin, Justin Jefferson go get this. Yeah. I've got confidence in him, which I think I'm most impressed with. And I think I'm with you as far as like, the optimism. Um, again, as I prepare for uh, Houston radio every single week, uh, 11 missed tackles yeah. by the Texans in the run game alone. Let me ask you a question then in preparation for your Houston radio. Um, instead of what is there to look forward to or to be optimistic about, what is the most disappointing aspect of this Texans team right now? I think it's, I think it's the pass game because, you know, coming into the season, I was, I was more curious than optimistic about that group. But I, but I was curious because I saw a path where having that group of playmakers out there was going to have success. That Deshaun, I mean, I guess Deshaun Watson not taking a step in his development, hmm. I think, is disappointing. In the same, in what I say on the Sean Salisbury show every single week, where Sean, a former NFL quarterback, we're we're very much in lockstep about a lot of stuff we see. It's like I love Deshaun Watson, but. You know, again, yesterday, there's an unblocked pressure right in his face for a sack. There's two or three plays per game where the protection's just a mess. That's on the quarterback. There's two or three plays a game where Watson is inviting pressure after a clean from a clean pocket. And sometimes the MVP-like play comes out, and sometimes the interception comes out or a sack or whatever it is. There's too many of those plays from Watson. So even though I think the wide receivers have been disappointing, the play calling's been disappointing, the defense has been atrocious. J.J. Watt's the highest-graded player. He's, not, he's under 70. The whole defense is horrible right now. Um, so I think it's a whole lot of disappointment, but also Watson not really taking a step forward 
in a not great environment, but still not being able to take a step forward with what he has. JJ Watt has been really disappointing to me. Um, oh, that's what you were getting at? Yeah, well, it's one <laughs> of them. I mean, we were talking before the season that, hey, look, I know he tore his pack and missed the back end of last year, but like the last sort of year and a half of JJ Watt being on the field, it hasn't been defensive player of the year, vintage JJ Watt, where he was at his very, very peak, but it was pretty close. And it was like edging back in that direction. I, you know, you, you could have, there was an argument to say that, look, JJ Watt in 2020 is going to be pretty close to being back to his best. And he's fallen off a cliff. Like he's been not anonymous, but he hasn't been a difference maker for the first month of the season. And that might be the first time you can say that about JJ Watt in his NFL career. Like other than missing from the game, other than being injured and not out there, when JJ Watt has been on the field, this might be the worst stretch of his NFL career. It, so the thing is, it kind of felt like that was creeping up at some point, though, that that was, that that was on its way. Because he had, he had a lot of high-end games, but he had some spurts where he wasn't, you know, he, he just never had those spurts early in his career. He just never had bad yeah. games. He, he would have one bad game, and we'd go back, like, let's, let's check out the film. What did they do? Mm-hmm. Remember, the Raiders blocked him really well one year when they never should have, right? What did the Raiders do against J.J. Watt this year, this week? He just had a bad game. He never had bad games before. Hey guys, the PFF NFL podcast is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items all up for auction. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product and use promo code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. Right now, we are currently giving away a signed Jerry Rice jersey. Rate and review the podcast and we will be choosing a winner next week. It's pristineauction.com. Promo code is PFF. I mean, if, if, if you want to know what I'm really disappointed at, it, for whatever it's worth, it's the linebackers. They re-signed Zach Cunningham before the year, Benadric McKinney. Both guys have played well in the run game. Uh, they've been hidden enough in coverage that they haven't been liabilities. I mean, they've been bad on, on both ends. Cunningham still makes a ton of plays, but it's like busted gaps left and right. I, I have very disappointed in the Texans overall. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think the Vikings – have a chance to to turn it. I told you they're better than you expected. Better than they'd showed. I mean, their defense is still a pretty major problem. But. I say that about every team, though. Yeah. Better than they've showed, because I was so optimistic before the season. Seattle at Miami. Weird stuff happens in Miami game. Kept nice. it close. Russell Wilson still dealing. Yeah. Making big time. I, I'm just... I, I wish we had, and we'll have this at some point, I wish we had velocity numbers on the on on throws. I really think he's he's always had a cannon. He is creating easy velocity just in a, in a way I don't think I've seen him before. The off-balance stuff, he's making throws that uh, – he's just making them look easy overall. He's throwing them on a line with some zip, off-platform. He is He's still just feeling it right now. First turnover-worthy play of the year, though, for, for Russ. Yeah, what a bum. Guy's done. He's done. Dial it back. We went too far in the let Russ cook thing. Let's load up Chris Carson. The Can't be game. turning it over if you're going to cook here, Russ. Yeah, uh, the best throw I've seen him make was that it didn't count. It wasn't caught, and it was it would have been nullified by a holding penalty anyway. But rolling out to the right on the run just fires an absolute laser into a closing window in the end zone to his tight end, uh, which, who, as I say, dropped the ball, and even if he'd caught it, it would have been nullified by a holding penalty. But... You know, every week you hear this, like, he's the only quarterback in the NFL that can make this play, right? About any quarterback, like any top quarterback makes a throw. He's the only guy in the league that can do this. 
I, I, he's not, but that was an absolutely ridiculous throw. And it was only one of X number. It's just so impressive because maybe the best throw of his day was a play that was goes down the stat sheet as it doesn't even go down as anything. It's a holding call. It didn't exist. It didn't happen. Yeah. The play didn't happen. Not even a, a, an incomplete pass or a, an attempt. Um, and that's in addition to the actual plays that did count. Like, yeah, Wilson right now, he's getting the MVP hype. I think ultimately he's going to win MVP just because of the narrative. Um, it's People are so focused right now on the idea that he's never even had a vote that I think it's going to swing all the way in his direction. He'll get MVP. I mean, also, he has a passer rating of 139, so right. that's going to swing And the Seahawks are winning, and blah, blah, blah. Right? There's a lot of things going in his favor. It's close between him and a couple of other quarterbacks, such as the insane level of play at the moment throughout the league. But he is playing on fire. I mean, he's justifying everybody's calls for this let Russ cook thing for a while and is, if anything, taking his game to an even higher level than he had the last two years, which is what was prompting all this let Russ cook stuff. And uh, so when Peyton Manning was playing, I remember I was actually at a game where Peyton and Brady were going head to head. I'm watching Peyton. And I'm thinking, man, it is. I'm, I'm. It's just because you get the the visual, right? From like the, I was at like the sideline view, essentially, and you could kind of feel how Peyton is able to attack every part of the field. He's going to run slants and ends, like so short middle. He's got it. He's going to throw touch passes over the top of you. He's going to throw back shoulders when you cover that. So he literally had an answer for everything. I, I feel like Wilson has elements of that right now, where every part of the field is in play. Mm-hmm. He's going to attack the deep area as efficiently as anybody as he always has incredible touch in in giving his playmakers an opportunity to make plays but the throw that you said was kind of like a cover two shot right so you've got that hole when you're running outside the pocket he's zipping one back across his body to Tyler Lockett a pass that he should never nobody should really be making but again he makes it look easy just firing it on a line I think Seattle's attacking every level of the field yeah more than ever and I think that's what's making that entire offense cook while Russ is uh you know the main chef there yeah it really was um dk metcalf continues to look pretty absurd um i mean what regardless of how high you are on Xavier or Xavier howard and i think you know people are kind of all over the place a bit on him but one thing you didn't really ever question was you know his size physicality ability to go one-on-one and just match up with a receiver but dk metcalf bullied him like the same way that he did to Gilmore the yeah. week before. And that there are not receive there aren't many receivers in the NFL that can do that to cornerbacks like those. Forget about bullying the smaller corners that you expected from. Like these are big physical cornerbacks and Metcalf is going out there and physically imposing his will on these guys and just leaving them for dust. Like not only is he fast, but he's big and powerful and just shucks you off the physical contact that you live by in terms of man coverage. That is starting to look pretty scary if you're a, an opposing defense. I mean, this goes back as, as I live in the offseason again. What do we say all offseason? Get, get playmakers, but also get playmakers who can win in different ways. Cover this offense right now with, with DK, with what Tyler Lockett does, his ability to win all over the place. David Moore has been a really underrated big play number three. Now, how much of that is Russell Wilson through the years? But he makes... You know, yeah. every couple of weeks, it's like, man, how that? How did David Moore catch that pass, right? That was two weeks ago. He made that incredible catch along the sideline against New England. So they're a tough offense to cover, and this might be the actual bet. I know Doug Baldwin was awesome through the years. They've had other solid receivers come through there, but this is probably the best group of playmakers that Wilson's thrown to, and that's with not the 
you know, Greg Olson's not moving the way he used to with tight end. They don't have the most, you know, the best tight ends to throw to, but not a good, not a, not a group you want to cover. When do we see Tua? Do you, I mean, the problem with the Tua thing is that offensive line is bad. Like, the way Ryan Fitzpatrick has been able to play, not in terms of play under pressure, but in terms of actually mitigating the pressure in the first place. Like, Austin Jackson's grade is like 10 times worse than his statistical output in terms of pressures allowed and stuff because he has an absolute ton of uh, pass pro losses that aren't pressure, right? right. Because the, ball, the ball's gone before the guy actually pressures the quarterback. Um, that's Fitzpatrick, essentially. Fitzpatrick making the difference between the pressure he should be under and the pressure he's actually under. If you put a young quarterback out there, even a mobile young quarterback, that just scares me in terms of what happens yeah. to that that ratio. I would say suddenly you're actually probably not only if the, the line is here in terms of how much pressure you should be under, Fitzpatrick is all the way off to one side right now. I suspect two is on the other side of the, the spectrum. So you're not just bringing it all the way back to where it should be. You're probably pushing it in the other direction and actually getting more pressure than even you should be under, and it's already a bad number. Tua always re he reminded me of Jimmy G in that sense, where it's like he's got a quick release, everything's quick, 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 and then there's a few plays where he holds onto it too long, and I feel like those could be the disastrous ones. It's got to be tough though if you're in the Miami front office, you're seeing the Justin Herbert success, you're yeah. seeing Joe Burrow success, and you get a little antsy. This is it's the human nature aspect because I'm a big believer. If you have a plan, you stick to the plan. Yeah. If the plan is I'm not seeing Tua until week ten or until he masters the play, whatever the whatever standard you set for your young quarterback for his development, you stick to it. But the human nature aspect of it is we're losing games. Fans are restless. I'm restless. I want to see what we got. I want to see. I want to. You know. I I do wonder if so. My inclination would be look. This is a bad situation to throw a young quarterback into. On the other hand. I, but it uh, will be all year. You're going to say yes. that all year? Yeah, yeah. So the, the Justin Herbert point is a really good one, right? Because that's a similar situation in terms of, look, there are reasons that they didn't think this guy was ready. Um, the only way you discover that outside of literally tossing him into the game and just seeing if you're right or not is let's change the practice reps, right? That's the mm -hmm. only other thing you can play with. So instead of saying Fitzpatrick gets all the reps and Tua gets like the three at the end of the game or runs the scout team, now – let's make that closer to 50-50. Let's give Tua some legitimate practice time with the first team um, during the week and see if he's handling it there, see what effect he has on the first team offensive line in practice. It's not the same. It's not live bullets. It's not exactly like for like, but it's as close as you can get without just saying, you know what, screw it, throw him in there. I, I think that throwing him in there is still fundamentally a bad idea given the protection. The only way of disproving that is either throwing them out there and seeing or mess with the practice reps. Uh, so try that. Give, have, I a, will. have a dedicated scout team quarterback and then Tua and Fitzpatrick split first team reps Look, Fitz, in practice. You're, you're, old, you're, you're old. You're not going to learn anything new here. You're gonna that's go what I'm saying. Like, you're going to start the game without reps. What here. use does half the practice reps do Fitzpatrick? Look, Fitz, we're load managing you. We, we need you strong yes. to lose your job to yes. Tua. All right, let's go to the Los Angeles Chargers at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks win 38-31. This is a weird one early on. Bucks were moving it easily, and then Chargers made a run. Man, Justin Herbert making some throws. This was a classic Justin Herbert game, Sam. He missed a bunch of throws. Now, the completion percentage is great. The average depth of target is almost not – it's really low for a guy that hit a couple an of absolute <laughs> dime down the field. 
and the first one was a was a bomb behind the defense puts it right on him great but when he went remember on thursday we were talking about the blitz and todd Bowles is going to come after him and that's going to be rough and justin herbert against a zero blitz mm -hmm. hangs in there and very rust like Russ loves it you know you, you get a little gain a little ground you don't have to worry about a safety you loft it up there let your guy make a play herbert did that and it looked so good it was very impressive and then he also has the turnover worthy play in crunch time which he missed by a mile so it was the it was the full array of herbert he's had like one of those a game every game um this one unfortunately he saved for like the worst possible time you know late in the game when you had the chance to answer and bring your yeah. team back blah, blah blah that's when you uncorked the hideous like, inexcusable interception but the high-end stuff from herbert is so good right now and it's insanely fun to watch um we, we're talking about Jalen Guyton as the you know with this yeah. on the seventy-two yarder. We're talking Tyron Johnson on the fifty-three yarder. Uh, Donald Parham or Parham, as they mentioned on the broadcast, one snap has the back shoulder for a touchdown, like big six-eight tight end superstar. Yeah, um, they had this game won. Like they they had a, a lead. This this was the game right where they they were running some plays before halftime and put the ball on the ground. Yeah, right? and it's the classic. I, already, I can't remember whether it was the broadcast or whether it was red zone or somebody was already doing it. You know, that's why do you risk it? Just take the knee, get to, get to the locker room. Like, no, look, come on. You, you can't, like, it's not inherently bad because the ball got put in the ground. The ball can get put on the ground any play you run on offense. Like, just hold on to it. The running a play before halftime to see if you can step on their throat even further and put the game out of reach is not bad putting the ball on the ground is bad it's right. like the classic do you go for it or not don't judge it by the play you went for it with that doesn't affect whether the decision was right or not that's a separate part right go for it yes or no and then write how are we going for it that's the second part of the equation so running plays with some time on the clock before halftime not a bad decision fumbling very bad decision um so those were the two plays like the fumble gave the bucks the chance and then um, Herbert uncorking the terrible play late in the game when he needed that. But the, the best part about the fumble, Brady's like sitting down on the sideline, head in the playbook, and then suddenly it's like, what? He's like, what, we, I, I got to go play? What? Yeah. We, we have the ball? How did that happen? Like runs out there and cranks some points up. That was absolutely the turning point because they score a touchdown in the red zone. That was um, Brady, a three-man rush against Brady in the, in the red zone. He just buys time, finds Mike Evans in the back of the end zone. Brady ends up with five touchdowns. The offense was all over the place in the first half. Second half, unstoppable. Uh, big, biggest news for the Bucs. They were playing without Chris Godwin, already banged up. O.J. Howard now, Achilles, out for yeah. the season. Um, I mean, it's part of the reason why they have all that depth, right? Yeah. But you're relying – Gronk has been a complimentary piece to this point. He, he, he had a, a classic Gronk play up the seam, not even a great throw. He goes up and makes the play. OJ Howard had been emerging as Brady's tight end in this offense over the last few weeks. That could be a huge loss. Yeah, but it's good that you've got Cameron Brate, who everyone Brate will forgotten be forgotten about. He'll be okay. He had a immediately step. Yeah, I mean he's he's a starting caliber tight end. When you have a good quarterback, he immediately gets to step in. We saw last week that as much as Gronk is, you know, the blocking tight end, like Gronk can still have a game where he catches seven passes and right. is a big part of the offense. So definitely a huge blow. Um, I you know I wouldn't I wouldn't be panicking over it. It's just an unfortunate loss for them but they're good like this offense is good tom brady has one of the top five grades of any quarterback through the first month of the season again 
we've said this all along, he's not going to get back to being a rival for Tom Brady or for uh, Aaron Rodgers, for Russell Wilson, for Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, but he might be this year's Matt Ryan, the guy that leads the second tier in terms of being the next best thing. And that should be more than enough for the Bucks to be a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Yeah, Brady graded well yesterday despite the pick six. He needs to start stop throwing deep outs. That was poor. Well, um, also, like, certainly stop throwing deep outs against cornerbacks that are watching it coming. Like, that yeah. guy was never playing anything else. He's wa he, off coverage, eyes on the quarterback, and you're throwing from, I think, the far hash, right? Like, that was... Yeah, that's just, far hash. That, both of his both of his pick sixes are far hash. The first one was a quick out, right? But this on one screen, in particular, but, like every single aspect of this was wrong and was wrong from the outset. Like, right. This was a this was a throw that if a rookie had made it, you would be saying rookie mistake. Well, rookie mistake, and come yeah. on, these are the throws you can't make at the NFL yeah. level. Like this is page one basic how to be a quarterback stuff, and some like Brady is the guy that uncorks it. Now after that was almost flawless, but that's. Like, that's a play Tom Brady can't and shouldn't be making. Right. So he's, you know, can't take away that play. But that play yeah. happened, and he still ended up grading well because he had four more big-time throws. He's leading the league in big-time throws this year, and it's a completely different – it's it's the Arians' offense. He's He's got over 65% of his yards through the air yeah. this year. It's not yak-centric. But I think that is the part that makes this offense really, really good. I don't think you rely on Brady making – four or five big time throws every week i don't know if that's the it's the arians offense they keep taking chances scotty miller down the field mike evans down the field but if they could find a back Keyshawn vaughn had a drop in there but he looked a little better in the passing game whereas ronald jones can't catch the ball yes LaShawn mccoy can't catch the ball or do anything after it and he got banged up vaughn could be the guy the rookie out of vanderbilt that helps this off it's just it's just picking up seven when it's yeah. there and that has been missing from this offense because ronald like none of those backs can catch the ball jones is prohibitively bad as a receiver and this was kind of this was suggested from his college tape like he didn't see the ball thrown his way much at usc i think he had like 45 targets in his entire career but in those 45 targets there were like a handful of really bad drops really ugly right clangy like, drops if you're dropping this if you're dropping these passes from this small a target share over your entire career that's some red flag you know thrown up right there like you can be phenomenal on the ground but at some point in the nfl you're gonna need to catch a check down and if you can't do that reliably it's one of those things like if you're about you need to be catching upwards of 90 percent of those 95 percent, because they're they're literally as routine as it gets they are and they're they're important plays because they don't get much yardage but they they limit the damage, right? Typically, right. you're catching a check down because the rest of the play has gone to hell, right. right? So the alternative option is you get nothing or a loss when he takes a stack because there was nowhere to go with it. So if you're getting nothing, now you've just burned it down and you're automatically behind the chains compared to where you, could, where you should have been. If you're able to pick up six yards on a swing pass or a check down over the middle, you can keep, your, you can keep the offense at least level with where it's supposed to be. The, the, the next down becomes a lot more manageable. And that only works if you're going to catch the ball. Like the quarterback can get get it to you, but you need to be able to secure that. And at the moment, you can't trust that Ronald Jones will do that. So somebody else needs to be out there if the running back is going to be a viable part of the passing game. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, you mentioned you were starting to see that blend of the offense. Brady's chucking it downfield a ton, yeah. but there's still a lot of quick passing game and get, you know getting the ball to the backs and getting the ball uh, to the slot in space. And if they can maximize those plays, this offense takes the next step. They'll be coming back on Thursday night against the Bears. 
Uh, next game, Baltimore Ravens and the Washington football team. Mm. It, you know, felt like there were some lopsided games around the league this week. This was certainly one of them. Baltimore bounces back nicely. And Washington already talking about moving on from Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, my prediction didn't come true, though. He made it through the game. Yeah, that Alex wasn't going to come in. Yeah, I thought we might. Or I was thought, going to come in. I thought that the Ravens would do enough of a number on Dwayne Haskins that we saw um, Alex Smith come in to finish the game. But actually, Haskins wasn't bad in this one. Yeah, from a grading standpoint, this will be his best game of the year. But I also think, I believe, still loading. The, um, yeah, it will be, yeah. It's like Sam Darnold, though. Yes. Oh, I'm like, look, this isn't reason to be encouraged or anything. This is just given what given what we'd seen for the first few weeks, particularly coming off that Browns game, going up against Baltimore's defense, this had like train wreck written all over it. And it wasn't a train wreck. Like Haskins was at least reasonable in this game. Um, so if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, and frankly, if you're Washington, like what is your alternative, right? Kyle Allen or Alex Smith? Like there's no... There's no viable future alternative sitting on the roster somewhere, right? So it's Haskins until the, until the wheels fall off. Right. I'm just saying that it looked like this was a game for the wheels to fall off, and they didn't. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm far from massively encouraged by what we've seen from Haskins so far. But the fact that he was able to at least be half decent against one of the more intimidating and tricky defenses to deal with in the league is encouraging. Like, that, that's all it can be. Encouraging, not great, not, you know, but we were – Maybe you're willing to write him off completely a week ago. We could at least take a step back from the brink. Yeah, my, I'm just saying, even when he plays well, much like Sam Darnold, where's it going to show up? It's going to show up in our grades and nowhere else. Yeah. You know, and, you know, you put up some, some passing yards or whatever, but it's Terry McLaurin and no one. Yes. I mean, Dontrell Inman's a 61 right now. Great. Perfect. The Madden creative player. Is that Madden create a player for grade. the Washington football team? For the Washington, <laughs> the generic wide receiver for the generic football team has a generic 61 grade. Perfect. Um, you know, he, he's the only other threat that's on Washington right now. We don't have anybody, Antonio Gibson doing some nice things, but yeah. um, they're just a long way away from yeah. from having any, you know, it's, it's a full rebuild there. So the Darnell thing is a great point, right? Is that it, short of being a transcendent quarterback, a guy who's so good that he can elevate everything around him and it just looks different when he's in there, there are certain situations where the guy just doesn't have a shot. And we're in this world now where if like that quarterback doesn't get given the chance, right? Because if you didn't, you're still searching for the transcendent guy. So all that a couple of years of a disastrous situation and a young quarterback shows you is that that quarterback isn't transcendent, at which point it's good enough to move on from him and look somewhere else. Whereas actually... Like, he might not be Mahomes, but maybe he could be good if you gave him a good cast and helped him develop, right? So guys like Darnold and Haskins, presumably down the line, are going to get tossed on the scrap heap or sent to the reclamation yard in large part because the situation around them was hideous. But, like, maybe they could actually be a lot better than that if they wound up in a, in a better environment. Yeah, I think that's I, – I, I keep coming back to the fact, though, like how valuable is that guy in today's NFL? How valuable is yeah. Dwayne Haskins based off what he showed? And Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and Marcus Mariota, right? How valuable are those guys because they're everywhere right now. So keep we got to keep chasing that top guy, I think. Yeah, um, though I, I kind of wonder, like, I wonder how much you can develop. Like right now, the level that Darnold and Haskins are at, you can get anybody that can do that, right? I mean, a, 
Case Keenum off the street. I mean, I know he's got a, he's on a roster right now, but Case Keenum standard people generally are sort of sitting around on the couch waiting for that call. You can get a Case Keenum level guy that can come in do exactly the same thing as Darnold and Haskins, and it, it's easy. On the other hand, we've seen like even from like Darnold's draft class, you get the guy who lands in the right situation, and suddenly you start seeing his ceiling, not not the middle ground. You start seeing well, actually this guy develops into. MVP Lamar Jackson or um, all pro caliber play through the first month, Josh Allen. Like you can actually develop these guys to their ceiling, not just to some middle ground. Maybe a guy like Haskins or a guy like Darnold hits their ceiling if they end up in a better situation. Just drop Mahomes on Washington. I need, I, I need some experiments here. <laughs> I want to see what Mahomes would do in Washington. Or, yeah, or, or just or a, bad, the Jets. a bad situation. Or with the Giants. And the reverse, like what do what those guys look like with Andy Reid's tutelage throwing to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey with a good offensive line in front of him? Baltimore, again, I think they took care of business. I'm still not – I don't think their their run game is not as efficient as it was last year, and I, that's what I want to see unfold the rest of the year here. They, they had a run game that was, if you just put it up against pass games last year, was like seventh most efficient in the league. They're not even close to that this year, so – it puts more pressure on Lamar. It was kind of like what I was talking about with Brady. Like, you can't rely on Brady to make four. You don't want to rely on Brady to make four or five big-time throws a week just to be able to create offense. That's been a lot of the Baltimore games this year. Hey, Lamar, go hit three or four big-time throws because the down-to-down efficiency just isn't there this year compared to previous years. I don't know if that comes back to bite them because they were so efficient last year in both sides, run and pass. And again, we saw it in Kansas City, that, that one game. I just don't know if that shows up a few more times this year for the Ravens. This is a concern. great um, case study in the importance of offensive linemen compared with the importance of running backs, right? So this thing we've been harping on about, that running backs are more a product of their environment than they are their own differential and talent, right? right. Now, the Ravens, we've already known for a long time, have um, an extremely good system and they've had extremely talented run blockers that help basically anybody you plug in there look like a pro bowl caliber running back and it's why you know this idea of do you invest do you pay the running back or do you pay the offensive line that helps them look really good the ravens lost a hall of fame guard in marshall yanda and so far this season their guard play has been atrocious right so <laughs> baltimore have basically demonstrated that the value of a guard in this system is higher than the value of the running back. So they go and take a J.K. Dobbins or whatever in the second round, or you invest in Mark Ingram or whatever you want to do at the running back position, you are suddenly in a much worse position because a Hall of Fame caliber guard retired. Like maybe you actually would have been better finding a replacement for that guy than you were chasing talent in the backfield. Uh, let's go to the New York Giants and the Los Angeles Rams. Man, this was close. Giants hung in there. Yeah. They never felt like they had a chance. Like, they never felt. They never felt like they were going to actually win the game. Well, I, who's, I don't know who's, um, who was broadcasting this game, but somebody's graphics package now has like a football right next to the score for, to indicate who has possession. Yeah. Right? But they put it right next to the number, and from a glance, it looks like a minus. So at one <laughs> point, I glanced up, and it looked like, it looked like the score was minus six for the Giants and nine for the Rams. 
and it didn't feel off. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, the Rams' offense. Yeah, I mean, is I, I can see the Giants. I mean, if anybody's going to score negative points, I can see the Giants' offense that's doing what, that this that's year. That's what I'm saying, right? So it sort of felt right. Um, yeah, like, so I think the Rams causing the Giants' offense to struggle and generally not do well was entirely predictable. What was less predictable or made less sense was the Rams' offense struggling compared to that Giants' defense. And I think, you know, you when that happens, it's like, well, which was the bigger factor? Was it the offense or was it the defense they were playing? And I don't think it was the defense. Like This game was said a lot more about the Rams just inaccuracies, just failure to execute correctly on offense than it did about anything the Giants were doing. Um, and it just it's such a sort of cliche and such a nothing thing to throw around, but it just felt like one of those games where things weren't going right. You know what I mean? Like and a Miami game out in LA. Yeah. And ultimately at home. your goal becomes to just get the hell out of this with the win, you know, and come back next week better. It's one of those things where it just doesn't feel like you're going to fix it in and out in the game. Um, and they eventually got like the one deep shot to Cooper cup, um, which became the difference in the game, like the touchdown that, that made the difference. Just but, splits the D and, takes off yeah, yeah but th this just felt like a funk for the rams I, I mean part of it was this offense is different when you shut down the run and the one thing the giants defense can do well is clog up the middle and clog the run game so they were dealing with that but generally it just felt like this offense was not functioning this week it is true i mean the the um see my thing is if we reversed the rams season and their first two games were last week against the bills and then this week against the Giants, I wouldn't have been terribly surprised. I thought the Rams were ready to regress. I thought that their roster had some holes in some places that they hadn't in previous years. But they came out smoking. They came out to beat the Cowboys, yeah. who maybe we overrated. They came out and beat the Eagles, who maybe we overrated. I mean, they're 3-0 and against the NFC East right now. Maybe division-leading Philadelphia Eagles. You put some respect Division-leading. Well, the real division leader is the Los Angeles Rams. They're 3-0 and in the NFC East so far this year wow and they're 0-1 in the AFC East <laughs> that is that is the breaking news right now the best team in the NFC East is the Rams the Rams that's a great question I, how long will it take for a team to overtake the Rams at the top of the <laughs> NFC East the NFC East has what three wins uh total yeah. as do the Los Angeles Rams yeah they're all tied. That's a great, like, it's gonna take, I mean it has to take at least two weeks for a team to overtake the Rams atop the NFC East Oh, for a team? Yeah. I'm talking about the entire no, no, division no. Like, has the same number wanna, of wins. How as long the will it take for a single team to overtake the Rams at the top of that division? Mathematically, it has to take at least another two weeks. Yeah. Which means to have more wins. It, right. It yeah. could almost be halfway in the season before a team in their own division overtakes the Rams. So that's what I'm trying to I don't know if we know enough about the Rams. I was impressed with them early on. I was like, maybe they maybe they are figuring it out. The offense isn't gonna miss a Brandon Cooks. I know we missed time last year, but I thought they might miss him a little bit. The offensive line had bounced back. I mean, the defense had handled some of their early losses, and it was a whole new look. I mean, I, I still think the de the defense has been good outside of that one game against the Bills. Yeah. Um, but um, the Rams are still one of those teams. I I, I need more information yeah. on on the Rams right now. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that look, they weren't as good as they looked right out of the gate, but I don't think they're as bad as they looked yesterday either. I think they're somewhere in the middle. They're a good team that had a bad day. You make a good point about the. I mean the team that is built to just make the Rams win through the air is is the Giants with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence and all those dudes up front that played pretty well yesterday. James Bradbury getting in there. James Bradbury's been playing well this year. He has. I mean, again, take was, him out of the NFC South. Well, this was one we I kind of said 
look, James Bradbury has had maybe the hardest assignment of any cornerback in the NFL since he came into the league, right? He's basically been the guy tasked with dealing with that murderous row of receivers in the AFC South. And you're like, if you just take him out of that, just immediately he becomes significantly better. And that's kind of what we're seeing. Now, not only did you take him out of that and he becomes better, but you then put him in the NFC East where there's no receivers. Like, you know, you took him from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other. So a certain degree of it is a product of that, but he's been a, a, a good player who suddenly has one of the easier assignments, not one of the harder. All right, let's go to the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears. Is it time to start putting some respect on the uh, Colts defense here, Sam? Yeah. Our highest graded defense coming into the week, shutting down the Bears. Nick Foles didn't play as badly as the stats in the scoreboard would have shown, but let me sum up the Bears really quick. Okay. We li- I like to have a clear cut. The quarterback's playing at this level. His stats are at this level. Therefore, we can make a determination of quarterback versus his playmakers and situation and, and have an idea, right? Quarterback's playing right, way better than a situation or vice versa. With the Bears, it, it switches every single week. We've seen weeks where Trubisky was actually making some nice throws and his guys were letting him down. And then you have last week where, you know, Foles and Trubisky were kind of all over the place and guys were making plays for the Bears. This week kind of felt like the opposite. There's no consistency with this offense where the receivers are balling out week in, week out, or the quarterback. There's just one guy's playing well, playmakers aren't, or vice versa. And that, I think, has summed up the Bears offense to this point at a macro level. Yeah, it it felt a lot like... So one of the, you know, Nick Foles gets praised for his aggression when it works. You know, this idea of particularly when, you know, games like the Falcons, right? You can throw him in there fully confident in the idea that guy will just sling the ball down the field and try and bring you back into this game. And if it happens, he looks like a superstar. Great right? comeback guy. But the problem is he kind of plays like that even when there's no reason to. Like when it's a neutral situation and it's like first down, that's how he's playing. Like he just goes out there and tries to do that the whole time. Like he's a perfect Bruce Arians quarterback, honestly. I'm not. I'm surprised they've never connected in the past. Um, but that that's not a high percentage way of playing necessarily, and that's probably why you end up with this distribution of grades, where sometimes he's the greatest quarterback we've ever seen in the postseason, and sometimes he has the worst grades we've ever seen for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, like, and sometimes it lands in the middle because it's a mix, right? But it feels like he's way too aggressive for just like standard quarterback play and they actually need to somehow rein him in and operate within the offense a little bit more in terms of just hey look just you know, take what's there sometimes like don't you don't need the deep dagger every play like let's just dial it back a little bit let's take the easy stuff he does that sometimes though that's the thing but just it but to your point i think it's more when yeah you know because he felt conservative early in the game and then um i like your point though alan robinson runs a post and the ball's on him and it was like well that's cool. Yeah, they, after the play, they sort of do that, you know, close replay on the receiver, jogging back to the huddle kind of thing. He honestly looks surprised that the ball had actually arrived there. The guy's so used to just running routes, and either it's not coming or it's thrown into tight coverage or whatever, but just turns around, makes the break, and the ball is on him, catches first down. It's like, whoa, this is, this is different. Colts pass rush did a really nice job. DeForest Buckner, he had... 11 at least 11 wins between pressures plus quick wins batted pass in there i believe justin houston gets in there their defensive line is legit yeah so i've been impressed with uh what the colts have done xavier rhodes had another pass breakup in there right so 
maybe look I again defense depending on who you're playing and all that stuff should we be impressed with what the Colts have been doing defensively Julian Blackman on the back end making some plays at safety for the Colts their uh their rookie former cornerback out of Utah yeah I think you have to be impressed I mean they've they're going to be dealing with this you can only beat what's in front of you for for as long as it takes but so far that's what they've been doing it's it's getting harder and harder to just dismiss it as um the opposition they face the longer they do it so yeah this Colts deep the Colts period look like they're closer to what we thought they were heading into the season than they were when everybody pushed the panic buttons because they struggled against Jacksonville this was the first time the Colts offensive line actually gave up some pressure 14 total that we assigned to their blockers and that included Braden Smith getting owned for seven you know you've got the Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn yeah. coming off the edge was was not not easy and I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the worst Philip Rivers game as well like Philip Rivers for the maybe the first time in his career needs that offensive line in front of him because he's reached that age and just like he needs the platform now he didn't in the past and there's been seasons where he's played phenomenally well despite a disaster of a Chargers line in front of him if that happens like if the Indianapolis offensive line falls to pieces over the year their charge is done because Philip Rivers will not get it done in the face of a ton of pressure. If you keep him clean and you give him the best offensive line he's had for his career, you're still in business. And he had, and he had you know, one sack that was on him and all that. I mean, there. Are, I, I think the bottom line on this whole thing is this sums up the fact that Philip Rivers previously, the last few iterations of the Chargers, could not really play poorly and and come out with a win. I think the Colts, we've been talking them up for a few years. Offensive line's intact. They're adding a lot to the defense. They're in position to win games in different ways and win games with defense and win games when Rivers isn't necessarily at his best. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what we saw in, in this game. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on the Colts' defense and seeing what they can keep up as the, as the season goes on because, you know, I've been impressed with what they've been able to do. And I think there's some disappointment with the Bears. You're, you're bringing in Foles, and you're expecting this. Yeah. Again, the ceiling of your offense should be high-octane, create chunk plays. Some of his best throws didn't become completions. I mean, it was one of those – I think it was just one of those games where there's just not that synergy between playmaker and, and quarterback. So, don't worry. If you're unhappy with how Nick Foles is playing this week – Wait next week. Just wait until next week. That is the advice Robert Mays, guest of the show – and any other Chicago Bears fans, don't worry. Just wait until next week. Things could be completely different. Yeah, definitely a disappointing game for the Chicago, though, because, you know, the, the quarterback was supposed to be the thing that, that made them or that was holding them back, even though Trubisky had actually played at a viable level for most of the season. You know, you switch, you go to Nick Foles. The roster is really good. We should be able to contend. And then you lose. You had him in the Super Bowl, so that's fine. No, I didn't. And let's go to Buffalo and las vegas from the four o'clock window buffalo bills i'm gonna say they th their defense hasn't been as good as it was in in previous years but they've got kind of that championship type of feel to them you know they they get up teams come back against them they handle the comeback even you know for the most part the rams they blew a 28 to 3 lead the previous year but they didn't worry about it so the the fact that i called the saints a championship caliber effort I think the Bills have had that in them the last couple of weeks. They have not batted an eye. When the Rams came back on them, they haven't batted an eye. When Vegas kept trying to creep back into the game, they just kept uh, foot on the pedal and making plays offensively. And, man, they're rolling four deep at receiver. 
Yeah. Wide open touchdown to start things. The connection between Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs has been fantastic. Really impressive effort overall by the Bills. Every time you say Vegas, I think of like the gambling institution. You know, like the the group that sets the lines and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, we need because we do because I do refer to Vegas. Yeah, as like when that, people yeah. people in a football context say Vegas, they mean like the point setters. You know. Yes. So that confuses me. Um, Sorry. No, you're right. Look, the the Buffalo. It's it's time we probably start thinking about the Buffalo Bills as like a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Whoa. Um, look, they, look at you. They yeah. Buffalo versus PFF. They um. You gave those people your money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a good T-shirt. It's a good shirt. I don't know. They had a blue one like that. That's nice. Oh yeah, long yeah, sleeve. Yeah, long sleeve. Um, the it's cold this morning. You need a long that's sleeve. That's what I'm that's saying. Pretty. I I saw it coming. We're heading into winter. It's going to get cold. I can't deal with the short sleeve. Anyway, um, the Bills were probably going to have this division sewn up just by virtue of the Patriots not being the Patriots anymore, right? So they were already the division favorites for the first time in decades. Um, they'd been heading in the right direction. This was a playoff team anyway. But I don't know that anybody expected the next leap, right? Well, the next leap was contingent on Josh Allen taking a big step forward and becoming like a, a, a legitimate plus play at quarterback as opposed to a guy that flashed it and every now and again would make the huge play, but ultimately would find a way to mess it up like the, the playoff game. Now, like Josh Allen is playing at a top five level. And honestly, in most seasons, he'd be playing it higher than that. It's just that right now you've got Mahomes, um, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, like there's a lot of top five quarterbacks right now. You know what I mean? Compared with where they right. usually are. So like Allen is playing incredibly well and everything else around him that was good anyway is good, if not better. We've been lauding the receiving core in terms of they've maximized these separation monsters of Cole Beasley, John Brown, Stefan Diggs. And now you've got a fourth one in the mix that nobody saw coming um, in, in Gabriel Davis. Like, this suddenly where's the hole like where's the flaw on this roster they've been down zach moss devin singletary just carries the load and everything's fine unless josh allen regresses significantly this is as good as a team that is out there you get that all on record you, you need to unblock all of bill's mafia now that you're yeah, saying nice things about them no i'm i'm embracing that most of them aren't blocked they're muted i'm embracing the oh mute muted right on twitter here's the thing this was the this was the cleanest game Josh Allen's played. Everything about it. I mean, uh, he's playing with a ridiculous amount of confidence. You could see that uh, in just some of the throws he makes. There, I think there's a difference between, you know, making boneheaded decisions and making aggressive, confident decisions. He's making aggressive, confident decisions. He, this was his first game of the year without a turnover-worthy play. He has not had back-to-back -back games in his career without a turnover-worthy play. That's, he is not. He's yet to have that, so we'll see what happens next time out but it wasn't his best statistical game of the year but you know this is this is what we do the ridiculous throw on the goal line that should have been a touchdown i don't even know what the explanation was for that that he hit john brown. like john brown catches it it balls halfway into the end zone they were saying that like by the time he got a second foot down to establish possession the ball had come back this side of the goal line it was i would have to me as but like as soon as the ball's in your hands and not moving yeah that's that's where but at forward that point progress you hadn't got be. a second. But at that point, you hadn't got the second foot down. Who cares? So you the had ball's no possession. But the ball's possessed in your hands. So the only time that would matter in my mind is when the ball moves, right? So if you have the ball, one foot's down, then the ball moves. It's like okay, you didn't establish possession. But otherwise, like if you don't have the second foot down, you're not. You haven't. You're not down. You haven't established possession on the field. I don't know that was because otherwise, at the back of the end zone, if you caught it one hand, like one foot down, 
you would need to get the second foot down by your logic. This is like the idiocy of just looking at touchdowns, right? The previous week, Josh Allen has two wide open bootleg touchdowns. And then he has th- that that count as touchdowns. And then this one that doesn't count as a touchdown, yeah. which is a ridiculous. Stop looking at just touchdowns. Um, in this case, though, it is, um, I thought, from an, just Allen's accuracy, uh, sprinkling in a couple of those big throws. But it was just more, they're moving the chains. Um, the well, connection with Diggs has been fantastic. It's like the Patrick Mahomes thing, right? It's like he's playing incredibly, and that's great. But look at everything else that's functioning as well. Like yes. he doesn't have to be incredible for the entire time because he's got wide open receivers left and right. Like John Brown streaking untouched down the middle of the field, who is again, it's, the, it's exactly what we talked about. He was so open that that pass didn't need to be perfect because he had the margin for error that Josh Allen could leave it to the left a little bit, and then oh by the way, even when it's contested his receiver is going to go up and get it. Um, and then, you know, the wide open pass to, to Davis uh, for the first touchdown, I think. Like, everything's working, right? right. Allen is playing incredibly, and he has taken such a huge step forward this season. But the the thing that makes Buffalo a potential Super Bowl team is that he doesn't. it doesn't need to be all him. The, he isn't – the offense isn't being carried by him and him alone. It's right. everything else is functioning as well. So impressive effort there, and then – the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Were they fool's gold when they were 2-0? Uh, yeah. I mean, the... the or are they the leader in the NFC South? They beat the, the Panthers and the Saints. <laughs> they were above they, the Bucks. They've... It's tricky to judge them without the, the true impact of Henry Ruggs, right? Because that, that was supposed to be the element that transforms this offense. And without him there, Carr's still taking the occasional deep shot. They're going to Nelson Aguilar, though, and that's not quite the same thing. Um, even though Aguilar's actually been catching some of these passes and looking kind of a little bit reborn. But it, it just feels a little bit wrong to judge this offense without without a Henry Ruggs there because that's supposed to be the real element that changes from a year ago. Man, they can't just be completely re- reliant on Henry Ruggs, though. That's that's the problem. I mean, they can be, but you don't want to it's be. It's not ideal. Jason Witten had a touchdown. No, Carr played pretty well overall. He made some big throws to to get the Raiders back in there. But again, it just always felt like they just weren't going to get there. Yeah. Bills have that championship feel. Jason Witten was so wide open that he was like waving with two arms in the back of the end zone for a period of time before catching Very that. slowly. Very slowly. Yeah. Anything else on the Raiders right now? Um, the Raiders no. fans want us to talk about that more. Do they? Yeah. I mean, they're... They're cover in, better they're one of these teams that's been banged up and it's hurt them in all the key areas like they've they've lost a lot of significant players and that's i mean it's ultimately a lot of the nfl is who makes it to the finish line with the least amount of injuries so in um, in one hand it's really harsh to judge them by that because you're like well look they're missing maybe their most important player on offense outside of the quarterback they're missing a ton of guys on the defense as well but ultimately, that's kind of part parcel of the deal, right? That everybody has to deal with injuries. Yeah, you've been more unlucky than others, but that's life in the NFL. So, yeah, I'm, I'm torn on that. I mean, I think they're better than they're showing, but injuries are part of the NFL. I think the bottom line for the Raiders is on the defensive side of the ball, their entire back seven grading in the 40s. I mean, that, that's it, 30s and 40s. Yeah. Eric Harris, Jonathan Abram. Trayvon Mullen, who I complimented last week for his really good game, you know, was, it, was, it reminds me of the Texans last year where it's like on paper, the secondary's not good, but they sprinkled in a good game here and there. So I think, uh, yeah, back seven. Mm. Holding the Raiders down still. Keep going back to the well. Added more, more talent back there. 
in the offseason. Let's wrap it up with Sunday Night Football. Philadelphia Eagles with their first win to take a commanding lead in the NFC East at 1-2-1. and one. Second place to the Rams. Oh, that's right. So the Rams... We'll post the stand. We'll put them on Twitter so people are yes. very clear. Rams 3-0. and Eagles 1-2-1. and Washington above Dallas right now at 1-3? and You were uh, telling me Washington was going to be in first place. They were, yeah. They were first place until the Eagles got a win. So... So they're above the Cowboys, yeah. and then the Giants are in last at 0-4. Yes. But maybe last is first because Trevor Lawrence could be at the end. Well, before the Eagles game, the Cowboys had a 16% chance to win the division at 1-3 or whatever they are, according to 538. Man. By the way, I could see Dave Gettleman just being like, nope, we haven't given Daniel Jones a fair shot yet. He's heading into year three. The kid's going to develop. I'm not taking Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I could see that. I could also, I mean, I sure hope not. Um Man, Wentz just seems so off. Like It, it seems like something's off. I, I got to give him credit, though. He battled and battled. He hit that deep ball to Fulham, and that was, that was beautiful. Well, so early in the game, he looked as broken as he'd been all the way through the rest of the season. And it's so – like, passes were coming out. That, like, it looked like he doesn't, he'd never thrown a ball before. It was Bortles-like. Yeah, it was like, you know how to do this, right? Like, you've thrown footballs in the past. But there was one, like, deep, fluttery thing that looked – it looked like a, a classic late career Peyton Manning duck, except with power, yeah, right? Right. It's just fast duck. Bizarre. Um, and then the biggest plays he was making were on the ground, where like when he ran the ball and scrambled and did things with his legs. And it's almost like that gave him a little bit of confidence as the game wore on. And suddenly it's like, all right, now he's actually making a couple of plays. And then we hit a nice crosser to Greg Ward that's perfect accuracy. And, you know, and then ultimately he makes the one big play deep on where that was a perfect dime like that was a beautiful deep ball didn't flutter in a weird way it was actual spiral hits his receiver basically perfectly in the hands um so overall his grade is not going to be great because of the early struggles but it felt like this was growth throughout the game for for Wentz I don't know if that's going to continue in the next week or if it was just a just the way that game unfolded but the fact that we at least saw something from him as the game wore on I think is encouraging and then on the other side of the, the ball, it's like, well, <laughs> all through the week, Kyle Shanahan's being asked, hey, is there any way that Nick Mullins can win this job from Garoppolo if he keeps playing well? And Shanahan was like, God, no, that, that scenario doesn't exist. Well, Mullins' answer in this game was more emphatic than anything that Shanahan gave. He just had a disaster, a horrible game for him right from the first series. Like Shanahan, Rembrandt is out there dialing up free, easy releases. Missing throws. And yeah. he, he understands how to use a fullback in a way that I don't know most teams do, right? Teams went away from the fullback the beginning part of the 21st century, the 2000s, right? Middle of the 2000s decade. I remember seeing an NFL film special in the year 2000 about, here's the new term you need to know, H-back. Yeah. So fullbacks at one point in the early 2000s were these battering ram players, right? All their job was was to lead through the offensive line and bury a Sam linebacker at the second level or in the hole, just clear the path for the running back, right? So you had this arms race between these like monstrous Lorenzo Neal, just juggernaut fullbacks whose sole purpose was to just plow a gap through the line. And then on the flip side, you had the Bart Scott linebackers whose sole job was to hit that hole at 100 miles an hour and cause a Football. pile, right? And it was, it was, in a sense, glorious to watch. In another sense, horrific now what we know about CTE and all those kinds of things. True. But 
at the point where that teams realize that look you know this is just a bad way of moving the ball right it creates a giant uh, just a pile of bodies at the line it just it doesn't there's no space involved and space is how you win in football right so that's why passing the ball is more efficient because you operate in more space and that's where the yardage is so they went away from that and consequently the fullback becomes a like an irrelevant part of an offense because he doesn't do anything that's productive but the 49ers have realized that you can actually make this guy a real problem in the passing game by kind of faking that and then doing something else, right? So the first play where they scheme up Kyle Juszczyk, he they fake the lead through the line. Linebacker has to come down and attack it because that's his role, right? If this is a run play, I have to hit the fullback at the line and cause a pile. So he just basically is barreling straight towards him. And when we get to the line and the linebacker arrives, Juszczyk just basically matadors him and runs into the space that he, he vacated. It. And now he's wide open. Full back seam. So it's such, a, it's such a difficult thing to defend because you can't treat that passively. You can't like, well, let's wait and see if he releases or not and then deal with it later. Because if you do, you, you're taking yourself out of the play in the run game. And now there is like a legitimate 10-yard running space because the fullback has essentially won his block by clearing out the linebacker. The real difference in the pass game is taking fullbacks, the Tom Rathmans of the world, and instead of a fullback running the route the t a tight end did or a slot receiver did. So it's a lot of the same passing concepts except right. a more athletic player. But I think if you do have I if you have a fullback who can lead block and actually run the seam a little bit and run wheels and all that stuff, I mean, I'm all in. But what I'm that. saying is now swinging back in that direction actually makes sense because you have to respect the yeah. the actual role that he's that he's faking in a way you don't have to for tight ends and H-backs. It's like that idea of Hybrid players are not necessarily that effective when it's a running back playing receiver, but if it's a receiver playing running back, it changes things. Yeah. Fullbacks running those patterns now, I think, changes it because you suddenly have to actually uh, deal with the thing they're faking, which is the lead through the line in a way that, like, if it's a receiver, you don't. Like, you don't have to pay attention to that. You right, know? I get you. You just assume he's releasing, right? I mean, that's football, right? Yeah. It's so that Kyle element Shanahan, of deception and guys that can do two things. Yeah. So my point is Rembrandt Shanahan is dialing this stuff up, right? Getting a, a wide open Kyle Juszczyk. And normally Nick Mullen's baseline is he hits that guy and gets great production because of it. In this game, he couldn't. For some reason, the dude was just off in this game. Misses Juszczyk on that first series and just couldn't hit anything throughout the rest of the game. Um, culminating in like one of the worst pick sixes you're ever going to see. Like the Eagles finally yeah. take the lead. It's Nick Mullen's chance to answer. He can banish all of the bad play from the rest of this game if he just leads a comeback drive, wins the game, and instead stares down a linebacker and tries to put the ball right through him to his intended target, and suddenly now you're in a double-digit hole and you're screwed. That was as bad as it gets, pick six-wise. And, and then, you know, the 49ers put in C.J. Beathard, who, you know, is more of a gunslingery type of guy that fits that comeback mentality, I think. I mean, Mullins, Mullins feels like the guy that, you know, most most of the time is going to hit Shanahan's open throws. He didn't just, do it in this game. I and then Beathard yeah. feels like the guy that won't hit as many of those open throws over time, but in a, you know, short setting might be able to lead that comeback. I think it's a little bit harsh to judge Mullins solely off this game. I mean, this was just a bad, bad day at the office for him. Typically, he is well capable of hitting the things that Kyle Shanahan schemes up. For whatever reason, in this game, he just wasn't. He just had a terrible performance couldn't hit the open throws um couldn't make the ones that weren't open 
and then compounded it by throwing a pick six at the worst possible time. This was basically the, the worst you could possibly end up playing as a quarterback in relief. It's just it's just hideous timing because it was like a whole week of people asking, could he actually win the starting job? And it just goes out. That's just a horrific no, performance. People, look, because people were citing stats. Look at Nick Mullen's stats and look at Jimmy G's stats and all that stuff. Look, yeah, the Shanahan scheme over time is going to help your stats. But Garoppolo has absolutely run that offense, has played better than yeah, Nick Mullins. But Nick Mullins has also been grading well in the past. Like yeah, he's, yeah, he's fine. That's fine. But, like, just not I think last night you saw where the limitations are. Very Brett, Rim- Brett Rippon-like. As soon as you're like, hey, this guy could play, it's like, uh, then there's some bad stuff in there as well. Yeah, but I, don't, I think he's got viable physical tools in a way Rippon probably doesn't. Will the Eagles turn this thing around? <sighs> There's still so much broken. Um, the offensive line was massive. So many still. injuries. So many, for the yeah. second straight year. I know everybody's depleted right now, yeah. but last year for the Eagles, it was all their playmakers disappeared. Now it's their playmakers and their offensive line. Right. Same two areas they've been getting hit with for a long time now. Um, That's tough to overcome. It is. And even when they've got guys like um, Lane Johnson is going out there, uh, clearly playing through injuries, comes out a couple of times in the game to get some relief. They're just a mess. Um, and then the lack of receivers. Like Greg Ward, again, is their number one receiver. And that was the reason for everybody saying Carson Travis Wentz. Fulgham and right. John Hightower. and Fulgham, who they signed off a practice squad like earlier in the week. Like They, they just have nobody. And, and coming into the year, the Eagles – were supposed to have eight receivers that they were sorting through. And they did. I mean, and, you know, Marquise Goodwin opted well, out. This was the same as a year ago. We were yeah. like the number one receiving core in the NFL. Right. And that, well, that only holds if they're all there. Jalen Rager's hurt. Alshon Jeffrey's hurt. Deshaun Jackson's hurt. I mean, it is crazy what they've had to deal with. Yeah. I wonder how much they can just kind of stay afloat in the NFC East and then the second half of the year maybe Maybe things turn around. Because Wentz won't play this, but he can't play this so badly the, thing. the whole season, that's, right? That's the big thing, is what does Wentz build on what we saw in this game? Or does he? Or is this just like a couple of plays late in the game and he goes back to being the guy that couldn't throw earlier in the game and that he's been this season? If Wentz plays, if Wentz improves, things change for the Eagles. Look, this they're leading the division with a win. Um, they, yeah, for, uh, yeah, some respect here. First place. Right. Yes, second place to the Rams. Second place, yeah. This division is there to be won. If the Eagles can get anything going in terms of offense, if they Carson Wentz plays at any kind of viable level, they are far from being out of the, out of the consideration for a playoff spot. They could host a playoff game. Um, but it, I think Wentz is the biggest thing there, right? Like he showed some signs late in this game that he can actually function and you know, that he is the quarterback that we've seen in the past. But that guy hasn't been around so far this season. The fact that everybody else is going to be injured around him clearly makes that more difficult, but he's the biggest variable in all this. All right, that's it, man. Sunday night football. My Lada played. He started. Oh, and my Lada, yeah. Left tackle. He's okay. He was okay. Yeah. He's stealing starters, though. He can pass Eagles block, though. Tough. I mean, he's not, he's not a liability as a pass blocker, which is the biggest. I mean, Jordan Mylotta, former rugby player, I said, I missed – he's one of the guys I like to watch every preseason, watch this development. Now we get to see it in – the regular season so there's some hope there uh monday night football we get the double header now yeah as of right now it's falcons and packers and patriots at the chiefs we'll be back on thursday we have a very special guest thursday yeah as you said mm-hmm. another tease well it, people are going to know it's going to get in the title well, well on thursday 
on Thursday. All right, well, download download and and subscribe right now if you haven't, just to make sure you get Thursday's episode. Um, So special guest on Thursday. We'll be previewing all of the week five action. And uh, be sure to get to pff.com. PFF Elite, all of the grades will be finalized here sometime on Monday. You can only get it with PFF Elite. Did you just go kneel when you said grades? Did I? It sounded a lot like it. I never say things the way he does. behind his back <laughs> that sounded just like there's no one else in the company yeah does. it sounded like when eric drop goes into like just drops a kneel syllable in the middle of a sentence that's what you sounded like yeah, there it's possible yeah you know you start to talk like everybody right now yeah it's possible great grades monday go check them out pff elite thanks to everybody thanks to all the sponsors talk to you guys thursday